Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 25th episode of the Bacon Bets podcast. And oh, how sweet it is. Sweet 16 coming up. That's basically what this podcast is going to be all about. I'll be breaking down uh, my best bet for all eight Sweet 16 matchups. Uh, and then after that, I am going to talk a little UFC. I got some UFC picks for the big pay-per-view this weekend, UFC 260. Uh, but let's uh, quickly recap how March Madness has gone so far. It's gone very well for me, if I'm being completely honest with you. Uh, just bringing up my record now, my overall record in March Madness. And as most of you probably know, I bet on every single game, including the first four games. So heading into the Sweet 16, I am 30-21 and 21 for plus 9.26 units. couple of things that have helped me out big. One is, of course, the Abilene Christian money line. I gave that out on last week's episode, and it hit. Congratulations to anyone who tailed that pick. Uh, and I tweeted it out. I mean, I was, uh, I, I, I was a little bit arrogant about it. To be completely honest, but I, that's like I tweeted out, it's my handicapping magnum opus. And I'm sure I mispronounced that, but uh, it's it's my handicapping masterpiece. Uh, one that I will talk about for a long time. I called it with perimeter defense being a, a big factor that's gonna that was going to play into it. I talked about turnovers being the biggest factor, and they forced 23 turnovers. Texas had 23 turnovers that game. Now, Abilene Christian was absolutely brutal in the offensive end. <laughs> what was the final score? 53-52. Uh, it was a tough scene offensively, but, man, they were absolutely electric. Electric on defense. I don't know how many of you stayed up for that game because that was the late game on Saturday. Uh, it would finished at like 2, 2.30 my time. I'm, I'm Atlantic time zone, so even anyone who's on the East time zone, it still would have been like 1, 1.30. Uh, 
Uh, but oh boy, that was that was fun. That was a fun game to watch, man. Those kids are absolutely electric. Uh, very, they were outmatched skill wise, talent wise. Like their best players, like looked like he was five foot seven. I don't know if he actually was, but he looked like it. Uh, they won that game purely on heart, grit, determination, and effort. It was like every time someone on Texas got the ball, there was like they were being triple teamed. It was nuts how fast they were running around on the defensive side. Uh, of course, we saw what happened, though, in the next round when they went up against a team that doesn't turn the ball over UCLA, uh, and they got absolutely uh, crushed. Uh, I did sprinkle a little on the money line. I felt morally obligated in that game, but my pick for that game was the under, uh, which hit. So Abilene Christian money line at plus 325 helped with my record quite a bit. But then the the most recent day, Monday, I went 7-1 and one with my picks, with Ohio being the only loser that day. So I'm I'm looking pretty good. Up, like I said, I'm up 9.26 units. Finally, stats seem like they're important again. I f- I was going nuts during the season. I felt like I was losing my mind. I was having an existential crisis. You guys know I'm a stats handicapper. I, that's basically all I look at. That's like 85, 90% of my handicapping is stats. And during the season, nothing was making sense. I was handicapping based on stats, and then the complete opposite would happen. Like it'd be a, a good three-point shooting team going up against a... Uh, or I should say a th- three-point shooting team, of sometimes a bad three-point shooting team, going up against the best perimeter defense in the country, and then they'd shoot like 75% from beyond the arc. Nothing made sense. But finally, in these March Madness games, the stats are lining up, the puzzle pieces are fitting together, uh, and I'm thankful for that. Now, am I if I include my regular season record with my March Madness record so far, am I back to even? Did I dig myself out of my regular season hole? Who knows, because I didn't keep track of my record because it got so depressing at one point in time. But... My focus was March Madness. I've been on every single game. I'm looking very, very good heading into this week's Sweet 16. So let's keep it up. And now we have the WGC Dell Technologies match play going on. It started this morning. I put out a very quick preview in my pre-tournament picks on Twitter yesterday on Tuesday, I guess it was, because it started on Wednesday. So no full breakdown, but I just loved watching that all day today. I, I ended up plus 1.4 units. I tweeted out my matchup picks for the first day. Man, that tournament's fun to watch. I love it. Weather is getting warmer. The golf courses in my area are going to start opening up here soon. I'm very jealous of all the people who live in the southern states that can just golf all year round. My golf season is usually it's from the start of May until about mid-October is when you get around your last round in. Uh, but with it's been pretty mild here, which, I mean global warming it's been probably the warmest winter i've ever experienced but the positives of global warming is my golf season is probably going to start a little bit earlier it's looking like around mid-april my golf course is going to open up so very excited for that i'm in a very good mood weather's getting warmer i'm winning bets march madness is amazing it's been so fun golf tournament has been fun to watch ufc this weekend things are looking up friends so I don't want to waste any more time. Like I said, I'm going to start off with my best bet for the eight Sweet 16 matchups. I'll talk a little UFC at the end. Uh, but before we get into that, of course, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Let your friends know about it. Let everyone you know about it. Spread the word. We are growing. And that makes me very happy. And of course, if you're looking, uh, if you're interested in donating, maybe I've helped you win money over March Madness. Maybe you hit big on the Abilene Christian money line. Uh, maybe I've helped you hit a couple of golf picks, whatever. If you want to donate to the show, hopefully I can get some better equipment here soon and I don't have to keep recording into a microphone that looks like a fan uh, on my desktop in my 
apartment if you're looking to donate to the show go ahead and do that the donation link is in the description don't feel like you have to don't feel like you're pressured to but the option is there uh subscribe rate review if you have a few seconds but let's not waste any more time let's get into the march 25th episode of the bacon bets podcast more bacon than the pan can handle more bacon than the pan can handle more bacon than the pan can handle. More bacon than the pan can handle. All right, let's get into the picks here. Going to go in chronological order here, at least the order that my sports book had the games in it, which I assume is chronological order, which means we're going to start with Oregon State and Loyola, Chicago. I'm going to back Oregon State here, in my opinion, the hottest team in the country right now, taking the points plus six and a half. Uh, it's a big, bigger spread than I would have expected between these these two teams, to be completely honest. Uh, obviously, Oregon State, I think, entered, entered the Pac-12 tournament as a five seed, and I'm pretty sure they had to win the, their conference tournament just to get a spot in the NCAA tournament. I don't think they were going to get an at-large bid. And now look at them. They're 5-0, and both straight up and against the spread. Dating back to the start of that Pac-12 tournament, all five of those wins have come when they were at least five and a half point underdogs. Uh, they won both their games in the NCAA tournament by double digits, crushed Tennessee by what, 14 points it was, I think, uh, beat Oklahoma State by 10 points, and a big part of their success, really the main reason part, the main uh, uh, reason why they've been so successful in the tournament is their defense. Their offense has always been good all season. They had a pretty solid offense, but during the regular season, they absolutely stunk defensively, but that has completely changed. Their average opponent effective field goal percentage during the regular season, 49.3. Over the, their last five games, that has dropped all the way down to 40.6. So almost a 10% difference in their opponent effective field goal percentage. They're playing lockdown defense. We saw that in, against Tennessee. We saw that against Oklahoma State. Uh, and the opposite can actually be said for Loyola Chicago. While they have been winning their games, obviously, they haven't been playing as strong on defense as they did earlier in the season. Obviously, stronger competition, but still, their average opponent effective field goal percentage during the season was 47.2%. That has gone up to 53% over their last three games. So I think this game in general is a lot closer than the spread indicates. I love just, I think Oregon State's just playing really, really, really good basketball right now. I would probably still set Loyola Chicago as a favorite. I would probably set them as like a three, maybe four point favorite. Uh, so with the spread being six and a half, I'll go ahead and take Oregon State getting the points here. So starting off with my first pick for the Sweet 16, Oregon State plus six and a half. Also, fuck Sister Jean. I'm sick of her. We don't hear about the players. We don't hear about the player stories. It's just Sister Jean, Sister Jean, Sister Jean. Stop. Why? Why do we care about Sister Jean? She's just a random 101-year-old nun. I don't care about Sister Jean. Tell me about the players. Holy moly. You know, Sister Jean's going to, like, die in, like, a week or something, and this is now, it's going to make me look really bad. <laughs> uh, moving on, Baylor against Villanova. Going to take Baylor in this one, minus seven, laying the seven. I talked about how I felt about Villanova ahead of their game against North Texas. The way they're built right now, especially with Connor Gillespie out, is that they'll beat inferior teams, but they're going to lose to the first superior team that they face, uh, which is what I said before they played North Texas. They crushed North Texas. And then why why I said that was because they're very good at holding on to the ball. Generally speaking, in my opinion, for ups, upsets to happen, 
the underdog needs to force quite a bit of turnovers like that Abilene Christian Texas game. Villanova first in the country right now in turnovers per possession. So it's hard for inferior teams like Winthrop and North Texas to beat them. Um, but then Baylor is obviously just an, a more skilled and more talented team than Villanova, especially with Gillespie out. Also, Baylor, third in the country in opponent turnovers per possession, including forcing Wisconsin to turn the ball over 14 times. And Wisconsin's right up there. I think they're top five, top three in turnovers per possession and holding on to the ball. And Baylor still got to them and made them force turnovers. So if Baylor can, can you know, kind of crack this Villanova offense and make them turn the ball over a little bit, I think they run away with this one. Uh, third in the country, still an effective field goal percentage. Baylor is Villanova's 44th. Uh, Villanova has also only grabbed 47.2% of the rebounds over their last three games. Baylor has grabbed 52.1% of rebounds. So sizable advantage for Baylor in the, re- in the rebounding department as well. Now, if you are looking at the total, because I almost went with the total here, um, I do like the over. Both teams shoot the three ball. Neither is fantastic at defending the three ball. Uh, and Baylor is actually, by the way, first in the country in three-point field goal percentage. They are the best three-point shooting team in the entire country. Uh, I was a little bit worried about Baylor against Hartford. I didn't think they looked great, but they looked back to their pre-COVID form against Wisconsin. They absolutely crushed Wisconsin. Uh, I think they get it done here against a Villanova team. Now, if, if Villanova still had Connor Gillespie in their lineup, I think that I think this is a different game. Uh, Villanova kind of was fortunate that uh, they had they that they got to play against North Texas there in the second round. I think Baylor uh, runs away with this one. I'll take a minus seven. Moving on, Arkansas against Oral Roberts here. I've taken the favorite again. Arkansas minus 11.5. I keep winning money on Arkansas. I can't stop, won't stop. They are easily the team that has won me the most money so far this season. I owe it to them to keep betting on them. And I'm going to bet on them here again. Now, don't forget, little fun fact, in case you didn't know, these two teams actually played in the regular season. Uh, and Arkansas did win. They won by 11, and now the spread's 11 and a half. So <laughs> that's that's kind of interesting. But they did play in the regular season. Oral Roberts actually had a 10-point lead at halftime, and then Arkansas just wiped the floor with him in the second half. Uh, but some key things to note from that game. First, Arkansas out-rebounded them 58-32. to So they out-rebounded them by 16. That's very significant. The other key thing is Arkansas shot just 16.7% from three. So despite being, and that, that was the reason why Oral Roberts got off to the first half lead, because um, Arkansas couldn't hit the ocean from a, from, from a boat that game. So despite only shooting 16.7% from three, missing everything, they still won the game by 11 points. I think as long as they don't shoot that poorly again, I think they win by close to 20. Uh, turnovers were similar in that game, which I thought was kind of interesting, 13 to 15 in favor of Oral Roberts. I think that'll kind of go more towards Arkansas's favor in this game. Um I mean, this is all about, I mean, this is what happened. Oral Roberts played two poor defenses back-to-back, and not only did they play against bad defenses in Ohio State and Florida, but they played A-plus games. Can they play a third A-plus game in a row? I don't think so. They're a 15 seed for a reason, and Arkansas's defense is one of the best defenses in the country. So let's look at opponent effective field goal percentage. Arkansas, 58th. Oral Roberts, 195th. Uh, defensive efficiency, Arkansas, 24th, Oral Roberts, 274th, and don't forget, these rankings are with Arkansas playing in the SEC and Oral Roberts playing from whatever the fuck their conference is, I forget what it's called, but completely different levels of competition, and Arkansas blows them out of the water defensively. 
Like I said, Oral Roberts played two poor defenses and they shot the lights out the first couple of games. They need to shoot the lights out and have Arkansas um, not shoot well in order to even have a chance in this game. I think Arkansas blows them out of the water here. I can't see Oral Roberts having another A-plus game. They're going to get out-rebounded a ton again. They're going to get shut down. Their offense is going to get shut down a lot more than they did the last two games. Love Arkansas here, minus 11 and a half. Then we got the night game on Saturday. I'm taking the favorite again. Houston minus six against Syracuse. Now I have shit on Syracuse, so I'll try not to shit on them anymore. Obviously, they did belong in the tournament. I was dead wrong about that. Hand up. Hand up. I was wrong. Syracuse deserved to be a tournament team. It's that zone defense, man. uh, San Diego State tried to just shoot threes, which is a decent strategy, which I think Houston will succeed at here, but... I mean, to beat a team with shooting threes, you have to hit your threes, and San Diego State couldn't. West Virginia looked completely lost against Syracuse's zone defense, which was kind of surprising. Uh, they got out-coached that game. Uh, but I think Houston fits very, very well against Syracuse. I think a lot of their strengths match up with Syracuse's weakness. The way to beat Syracuse's zone defense, at least one of the ways, is to shoot the three. And Houston is one of the top three-point shooting teams in the country. Uh, 37.1% of points scored against Syracuse come from three-point field goals. That ranks 324th in the country. So obviously that's where a lot of teams have gotten their points against Syracuse. Houston is 56th in three-point shot rate, and they're also shooting 35.2% from beyond the arc, which is pretty solid, ranks in the top 100 in the country. And the other, the other weakness of a zone defense, the other hole in the zone defense is defensive rebounding. Syracuse ranks 331st in defensive rebounding, grabbing just 68.3% of defensive boards. Well, now they are going up against Houston, who is the best, that's right, the best, number one team in the country in offensive rebounding. They grab 39.9% of offensive boards. And then you look at Syracuse, effective field goal percentage, it it was 51.8 was their average effective field goal percentage throughout the season, but over their last three games, that's been bumped up to 61.2%. That's a 10% higher than their season season average. They have been shooting the lights out, especially Buddy uh, Bayheim. Uh, he's Buddy Bayham shooting like almost 60% from beyond the arc. Now, are they going to keep that up? I don't think so. Why would they? I mean, look at their season averages. A 10% increase in effective field goal percentage over their last three games. That's absolutely insane. To me, that's too big of an outlier. They had how many games? 25 games and their average of 51.8. Now they're shooting 61.2 and I expect that to keep up. Not a chance. Especially, especially given the fact that Houston is first in the country in opponent-effective field goal percentage. So if a team's going to be hot and then get cold in a game in shooting, uh, it's going to be when they face literally the best team in opponent-effective field goal percentage. So I think Syracuse's shooting cools off here. I think Houston grabs a ton of offensive boards, a ton of second-chance scoring opportunities. I think Houston gets successful from beyond the arc. I think Houston wipes the floor of Syracuse. This might be my favorite bet of the Sweet 16. Houston, minus 6. Just too many things line up. The puzzle pieces fit together. Houston, minus 6 against Syracuse. If I'm wrong again, then I don't know. I might. I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. I'll have to write a formal apology to Syracuse University. Uh, So that's it for the Friday game, or Saturday games. Let's move on to the Sunday games. First one's Gonzaga, Creighton. I'm betting on the total here. Uh, I was tempted to back Gonzaga to cover... Creighton's too good of a shooting team, though, for me to feel that comfortable. I like the over better, so over 158, high total. 
but I'm still going to take the over. Two very good shooting teams. Gonzaga plays at a blistering pace. Uh, Creighton plays at an above average pace as well. So first and 14th in effective field goal percentage, 30th and 80th in field goal attempts per game, 18th and 156th in possessions per game. So Gonzaga does play a little bit of a faster pace, but like I always say, the, the team that's winning usually dictates the pace. Gonzaga should take the lead. I mean, they're a big favorite, so you assume they're going to get out in front, and that should force Creighton to play at a faster pace. Also, both teams are good at protecting the ball, 25th and 36th in turnovers per possession, which also helps out an over. Obviously, if you're not turning the ball over, then you're most likely getting a shot off. So uh, good shooting teams, fast-paced teams, especially Gonzaga. They don't turn the ball over. I like the over 158 Gonzaga and Creighton. Then we're moving on to Oregon against USC, an all Pac-12 matchup. By the way, if you didn't know, Pac-12 teams 9-1. and one straight up and against the spread so far in the tournament. Absolutely uh, unbelievable. Everyone underestimated the Pac-12. I underestimated the Pac-12, but here they are. Four of the five uh, Pac-12 tournament teams are in the Sweet 16. Great stuff. Uh, unfortunately, one of them will be eliminated here because we have an all-Pac-12 uh, all uh, matchup uh, between Oregon and USC. I'm going to take Oregon. Take an Oregon plus two and a half. I wanted to go money line, but there's a, a key reason why I'm just going to take the points, and I'll get into that here in a second. Uh, USC is a very good team, but they have some issues that I think will be exploited against a team like Oregon. First of all, Oregon, very good three-point shooting team, 15th in the country in three-point field goal percentage, and that is exactly where USC's weakness is, their perimeter defense. This is why I liked USC a lot against Kansas, because Kansas is not a three-point shooting team. It was going to be an interior battle down low, and USC had a big advantage there. Well, now they're going up against a team that... Um, Oregon doesn't really lean the three-point shot or the two-point shot. They kind of get a good mix, but they're a very good three-point shooting team. Um, and USC ranks 160th in opponent three-point field goal percentage, and 33.4% of points scored against them come from three-point field goals. That ranks 262nd in the country. So Oregon should be successful with their perimeter offense in this game. Oregon also has a lower turnover rate, 67th in turnovers per possession compared to USC at 119th. And not only is Oregon better at not turning it over, but they're much better at forcing turnovers. 87th in opponent turnovers per possession compared to USC, 284th in opponent turnovers per possession. Now, the biggest issue that USC has is their free throw shooting, something you, you actually may not know about USC, but they rank 328th in the country in free throw shooting. They hit their free throws at a rate of just 64.3%. So in, in close games like this, that could play a massive role, and it is part of the reason why I'm taking the points here, because if USC is up late, and they certainly could be, I expect Oregon to be able to close the gap due to USC missing the free throw. So Oregon starts fouling USC, maybe Oregon's down like 8-7-6, they start fouling USC, USC misses some free throws, Oregon gets a couple baskets, and they should be able to close that gap, and we could see a very tight finish. Also, just from an eye test from the tournament, and to be honest, a lot of my bets at, at this point of the tournament are more eye bet based than what they normally would be in the regular season. USC looked, they looked all right against Drake. They did cover, but it was kind of because of a late run. They did look fantastic against Kansas, but I think that was more of a great stylistic matchup in Kansas. Just looked terrible. Oregon, on the other hand, against Iowa, I know obviously they had kind of had that first round bye with VCU, but against Iowa, they look like a national championship team. I'm not saying they're going to win the national championship, 
but they looked fan. They were flawless in that game against Iowa. Great defensively, great offensively, fast pace, shooting threes, hitting their threes, forcing turnovers. Oregon looked fantastic against Iowa. Also, don't forget, I just I talked about how much the Pac-12 is dominating this tournament. Oregon was the regular season champions of the Pac-12. Uh, Oregon State went on to win the conference tournament, but Oregon was the best team in the Pac-12 during the regular season. Now, USC did win the regular season matchup, but they absolutely shot the lights out. One of their best shooting games of the season. They're like 48% from beyond the arc. I think it's mostly an outlier game in my opinion, so I'm not putting too much worth behind it. Uh, so I like Oregon here. Give me Oregon plus 2.5 against USC. Next up, underdog money line alert. Uh, underdog money line alert. Florida State plus 115. Now, this game, Florida State against Michigan, my entire tournament comes down to this game. To me, personally, it is the most important game of the tournament so far. I have a Florida State ticket to win the region. What is it? South region, I think. I have a Florida State ticket to win the region at plus 600. My bracket has Florida State winning the region, and if they beat Michigan here, I'm in a great spot to win my bracket pool. Now, if I was responsible, I'd hedge those two things and take Michigan, but I think this is a fantastic matchup for Florida State. There's a reason why I like them winning the region. There's a reason why I took them to advance to the Final Four in my bracket. So let's get into that right now. They have the size to shut down Michigan down low, and they're strong enough on the perimeter on offense that they can beat them there offensively. So I really hope that their offensive game plan is to shoot the three ball more. So Michigan leans toward the two-point two shot rate. Uh, two-point shot. They rank 108th in two-point shot rate. Florida State ranks 10th and opponent two-point field goal percentage. So very, very good interior defense, largely in part due to their size. They have the tallest lineup in the entire country. It's hard to shoot down low against a team that big, and that's kind of that's what Michigan does. They shoot it down low, 108th in, in two-point shot rate. Florida State has the defense to stop them there. And then I, I mentioned how that Florida State can shoot the three ball. Now, they don't do it a ton, actually. They actually lean more towards... Um, uh, they lean more towards two-point shots, but I hope they shoot the three-ball more. I hope that's Florida State's game plan uh, because they're very good at it, and that's where Michigan's weakness is. So Michigan is third in opponent two-point field goal percentage, so you don't want to shoot it down low against Michigan because they're 112th in opponent three-point field goal percentage. So third in opponent two-point field goal percentage, 112th in opponent three-point field goal percentage. And like I said, Florida State doesn't shoot the three a ton, but they're 16th in three-point field goal percentage. So they are literally the 16th best three-point shooting team in the country. And now a further point, one weakness Florida State does have is turnovers. They're very strong everywhere, but they do turn the ball over a little bit. 251st in turnovers per possession. But, but... Michigan's weakness is forcing turnovers. Michigan's one of the worst teams in the country in forcing turnovers. 338th in opponent turnovers per possession, almost last in the country. So if there's a team that Florida State goes up against that doesn't force turnovers, they don't really need to worry about turning the ball over too much because it probably won't happen. Michigan's one of the worst teams in the country at forcing turnovers. So I think this is a great stylistic matchup for Florida State. They have the size to shut down Michigan down low. They have the three-point shooting capability to, to, to beat them on the perimeter. They 
they're they're they have turnover issues, but they're but Michigan doesn't force turnovers. I think this is a perfect storm for an upset here. I think number one Michigan falls to Florida State. I've been saying it since before the tournament started. This is an important matchup. This is to me the most important game of the tournament so far. I will be glued to my television for this game. Give me Florida State plus one fifteen on the money line against Michigan. I think the Wolverines fall. Uh, and then we are on to the last, uh, the last game here, the last game of uh, the Sweet 16, UCLA, Alabama. I'm taking the over, uh, the second total bet on the board for me, taking over 145 and a half. Both teams' offenses match up well with the other teams' defenses, so that's why I like the over in this one. Alabama, we know they're a three-point shooting team. They rank 17th in three-point shot rate. UCLA ranks 199th in opponent three-point field goal percentage, allowing teams to shoot 34.2% from beyond the arc against them, and also 32.4% of points scored against them come from three-point field goals. That ranks 239th in the country. Then if we look at the opposite... UCLA ranks 43rd in two-point shot rate, so they keep most of their offense down to the interior. Alabama ranks 77th in opponent two-point field goal percentage, allowing teams to shoot 47% from down low against them. Now, you might think, Ian, 77th in opponent two-point field goal percentage. That that seems like it's good. Well, yes, it is, but don't forget they rank 8th an opponent three-point field goal percentage. So they are definitely weaker with their interior defense than their perimeter defense. And to further prove that point, 55.1% of points scored against them come from two-point shots, and that is 306th in the country. So it's very clear that where teams get their points against Alabama, where the weakness of their defense is, is down low. Next, we know Alabama plays an extremely fast pace, 8th in the country in field goal attempts per game, 16th in possessions per game, and UCLA does play like a below average pace, but they're certainly capable of speeding it up. They've actually played at a faster pace so far in the tournament, and like I said earlier, the winning team usually dictates the pace, and in this one, Alabama should be leading given that they're a sizable favorite, so UCLA will hopefully have to speed it up uh, uh, to keep it close to them. Also, both two teams, very good shooting teams, 79th, 89th, effective field goal percentage, and UCLA ranks something like, I think it's 22nd floor percentage as well, so a lot of their possessions result in at least one point being scored. So for that one, I like UCLA, Alabama, over 145.5, so let's just quickly recap the picks here. I got Oregon State plus 6.5 against Loyola Chicago, Baylor minus 7 versus Villanova, Arkansas minus 11.5 against Oral Roberts, Houston minus 6 against Syracuse, Gonzaga, Creighton over 158, Oregon plus 2.5 versus USC, Florida State plus 115 against Michigan, and then UCLA, Alabama over 145.5. Let's keep the train rolling, let's keep the train rolling, let's go, let's go, let's have another big round, um, and then when does this... Elite Eight starts on Monday, uh, so I'll have some of my picks on guys and bets. I think we're doing a show that day, and uh, whatever picks I don't give it on the show, I guess I'll just tweet out. So Elite Eight's Monday, Tuesday, and then next week's episode, I'll give my picks for the Final Four, which will be fun. I think Final Four is that Saturday, and then I think the championship game is on Monday. What a time. Oh, how sweet it is. All right, let's uh, move on to the UFC here. I, I got a pick for the top three fights on the card. Unfortunately, the co-main cool event, the featherweight title, uh, was canceled. So, actually, I think there's only like seven or eight fights total on this card. A ton of them got canceled, but uh, I got to pick for the for the first three, or I should say, the top three uh, main event, co-main event, and the other uh, one of the other main event uh, main card fights. Let's start with the main event: Stipe Miocic 
against Francis Ngannou. I think you guys know probably know what way I'm going here. Stipe Miocic, even money. And this is one of the easier bets in the UFC I've made since, uh, I guess, Patreon a couple weeks ago. Um, Francis Ngannou hasn't shown us anything different. He hasn't, since they last fought, I mean, he's the same fighter. We know that he has the power to knock anyone out. He's probably the, has the most knockout power of anyone in, on the entire UFC roster. Um, he's won his last four fights in a minute 11, I think, was the longest fight. So all of them have been a minute 11 or quicker. But, I mean, this is the same Francis Ngannou we saw against Stipe Miocic back in 2018, and Stipe just absolutely destroyed him. He won by unanimous decision. He outstruck him 70-21, to 21, uh, and he just wrestled him. He landed six takedowns, and he just kept uh, Ngannou on the ground the entire fight. So what? What? why is Stipe an underdog here? Uh, and I've talked about this in the past. I did research back on this on this back in 2018. I don't have updated numbers, uh, but it has been proven. I proved it by kind of doing the research that over the long term, it's a good betting strategy that in a rematch, it's always good to bet on the fighter who won the first fight. And that is especially true when the, win when the winner of the first fight enters the second fight as a betting underdog. So this lines up to that strategy absolutely perfectly. If anyone could explain to me why Ngannou is now the favorite, I would love to know. I mean, he even hit Stipe with some, with some hard shots in their first fight and Stipe just ate them. Has Francis Ngannou all of a sudden become a great wrestler? We haven't seen it. If he has, we haven't seen it. I don't understand. Stipe is too well-rounded. He's the most decorated UFC fighter in the world. I, I, maybe Ngannou is just the favorite because people like betting on the on fighters that have knockout power. Not to say it's not possible. He can knock out anyone on the planet. If he lands a clean on Stipe, that could be it. But given what we saw in their first fight that was only two years ago, I haven't seen anything that has improved with Francis Ngannou's wrestling. I'll take Stipe Miocic even money, and that's a no-brainer. I don't even have to think twice about that one. So Stipe Miocic even money in the UFC 260 main event. Uh, Tyron Woodley against Vicente Luque in the co-main event. Tyron Woodley is a pretty big underdog, plus 205. Vicente Luque, big favorite, minus 260. Uh, I think a great bet for this fight if you don't want to eat the minus 260 juice. Now, Vicente Luque is going to win this fight. Tyron Woodley has looked absolutely lost since he lost the title. He has no confidence in the ring, in the octagon, I should say, whatsoever. His confidence is shot. He's lost three straight. Uh, and Vicente Luque is one of the best strikers on the planet. Also, I mean, if Woodley is going to win, I think he might be able to with his wrestling, but he's only shot four for four takedowns uh, over the last three fights over his losing streak, and he's only landed one of them. Uh, he's way too gun-shy with his takedowns now. Uh, he's, he seems terrified to lose. He apparently had a rib injury against Colby Covington, which is questionable. I think he might have just wanted out. Uh, so Vicente Luque minus 260, but what I'm going to do is for Vicente Luque to win by KO TKO at plus 230. I think that's fantastic value. Uh, he's won by KO TKO in 11 of his 19 professional wins, so that's a, a KO rate of 57.89%. Very sharp as a striker, especially as of late. Six of his last seven victories have come by, by KO TKO, and like I said, Tyron Woodley lost by TKO last time because of a rib injury, whatever it is. He looks lost out there. He has no confidence. Uh, this bet's an, an absolute no-brainer in my opinion, so I like Vicente Luque to win it by KO TKO plus 230. And then I'm going in the same bet the next fight, Sean O'Malley against Thomas Almeida. I'm going to back uh, Sean O'Malley to kind of rebound here, and I like him by T uh, KO TKO plus 140. Thomas Almeida was like uh, a very, very highly touted prospect. Now all of a sudden, out of the blue, he's lost three of his most, uh, uh, four of his last five fights, I believe it is. So he might get cut after this card. This is a classic case 
um, of the UFC. Sean O'Malley is obviously one of, if not their biggest prospect right now as far as marketability. And when those guys lose a fight, their next fight is almost always against a guy they know that they can beat. So they can kind of get the hype train going again. So Sean O'Malley lost to, get to Marlon Vera. They're now going to give me a uh, give him a Thomas Almeida, who's been terrible lately, uh, so they can get a little bit more hype behind Sean O'Malley. Give him an easy win. He's a minus 340 favorite for a reason. But you can back him to win by KO, TKO at plus 140. And kind of the start of Thomas Almeida's issues, his losing streak was a clean knockout loss to Cody Garbrandt. He got knocked the fuck out he kind of lost his chin a little bit he lost by tko again since then uh so i think i think o'malley finishes him with his strikes uh, almeida no confidence he's a little bit chinny and i mean he's a big underdog for a reason so those are my three ufc picks really quick stipe miocic even money vicente luke to win by ko at plus 230 and then sean o'malley to win by ko at plus 140 if you want to eat the juice just go ahead and just bet uh, minus 340, maybe even parlay them, Luke at minus 260, and Sean O'Malley at minus 340. Uh, I can't see either of them losing, uh, so maybe a parlay if you don't want to if you don't want to bet via method of victory. Uh, but that's all I, all I have for you guys. This is a pretty quick episode with only eight NCAA games. Uh, MLB starts soon. When does MLB start? Next Thursday, next Friday. Uh, so maybe I'll talk a little baseball on the podcast next week. But that's all I got for you for this week's episode. Uh, rate the podcast if you have a couple seconds. Leave a review if you have a couple more seconds. That always helps us. Um, and subscribe if you haven't already. Donation link is available there in the description if you feel like it. Um, I don't have anything else for you. Take care. I love you all. Best of luck with your bets uh, this coming weekend. And I will talk to you all next week. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.